Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of React Roundup. I am your host today, Paige Niedringhouse, and we are joined by TJ Van Toll. Hey, everybody. And Stephen Wittens is our special guest today. Hello. <laughs> Welcome, Stephen. We're glad to have you on. Maybe you could introduce yourself to our listeners and give us a little bit about your background and why you're famous. I don't know if I'm famous. I usually introduce myself as uh, the guy with that website with that crazy header, because it's kind of my calling card. So the website in this case is uh, ACKO.net, A-C-K-O.net. It's a very elaborate animated 3D piece in the header. And if you're wondering why it's called echo.net, it's because if you put www in front, it just says wacko. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a 20-year-old joke, but it's still <laughs> It does. And anybody who's listening, I would definitely encourage you to check out his website because it is very cool. There's music included. There's some awesome animations. But I think Stephen, what we're actually going to talk about today first, at least, is a piece that you recently wrote called React, The Missing Parts. Yeah, definitely. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there. And we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. So what I've essentially uh, been doing lately is playing with my own version of React. And where this came from was the, the realization that after doing a lot of front-end code with React, then moving back to back-end, I often found that like there'd be moments where I'd be like, oh, it'd be really handy if I could use a hook here. Or it'd be really handy if I could just you know take this list of things that I'm making, where only a couple of items are changing, just like in your UI, and I could just use React to do that. So out of this idea, I, I built my own React-like runtime. Uh, it's called Live, but it's essentially uh, mostly a clone. But what it focuses on is the core part of React, just the notion of you have components that produce other components, um, you have hooks. So the, the very essence of React, but without the HTML part, really. It's, it's just the internal part, because I, I want to use it for things that aren't UI. And so I've applied this to WebGPU. To, to build a framework for uh, GPU rendering on the web and basically found that it's it's really great. It's it's all the benefits that you get when, when you work with React code. Uh, you can get in other domains that aren't necessarily UI or they might still be rendering or drawing related, but you quickly discover that anything around that, any, any sort of orchestration or bookkeeping around that, if you write it in a reactive way, it becomes simpler and you get all the same benefits that you're used to from UI land. And so as part of that, once once you have your own copy of a framework, you can kind of just play around with it and experiment with it. And because it's more lightweight than the full React package that does HTML and has you know years and years of, of 
effort put into it. Uh, it's a lot easier to evolve it. And out of that came a couple of experiments. These are some, some interesting concepts that I think would be great if they were present in the main React library, but also that you know I can make use of now because I have my own tool set and I'm, I'm just applying these patterns as much as I can because they, they make my life as a developer a lot, a lot nicer. So this is very cool. I think uh, the first question I'll ask just to start, it's, it's very cool, but it's also quite ambitious, right? I think most developers that, that notice this sort of thing don't think, oh, well, to look into this more, I'm going to build my own version of React, <laughs> right? So I'm, I'm curious, like, how did you go about starting something like that? Did you like have up like the React source code? Do you have some background in that? Or did you just kind of try to take it from a naive, let me just reverse engineer these APIs and sort of like as a learning exercise? I'm just sort of curious your approach when you when you took that yeah. on. No, it's definitely a fair question. I, I should say I have a lot of experience. So I'm, I'm 38, but I've been pretty much been coding ever since I could reach a keyboard. So for a very young age, not that, you know, those first 10 years amounted to much, but still it means I have, I have a lot of backgrounds in just UI concepts, rendering concepts, and those kinds of things. When I started with React, that would have been, I don't know, very early on. That was back when it was still mix-ins. I, I, I don't want to put a year on it because I'll get it wrong. <laughs> but yeah, back when React still had mix-ins, that was before classes, way before hooks. So I watched that whole evolution kind of happen mostly from the outside. Um, but before that, too, I've worked with UI frameworks, worked with rendering engines, looked into you know various sort of UI paradigms. Like There's a, a, two fun fundamental concepts in this space. It's what's called immediate rendering or uh, retained rendering. And kind of until React showed up, those were kind of the two only ways. And I would say what was great about React is it combines those two methods. It feels very immediate when you use it, but nevertheless, we all know it's retaining a whole bunch of stuff behind the scenes for you. So yeah, having that background helped. Um, in terms of how you actually build it, uh, it's a little bit of, of what you say, you know, just going at it from, from scratch, not worrying too much about how the, the official implementation does it. But at the same time, having worked with React a lot, having, you know, stepped into it using the debugger, on numerous occasions, even just, you know, even when I don't want to, you, you kind of get a feel for what's inside there and the kinds of concepts that they're using, uh, which is very useful. But I, I definitely approached it as, as I'm going to do a clean room implementation, exactly because it's not tied to all the same HTML legacy uh, concerns. So I can, yeah. I can get away with a lot more than they can. Basically, <laughs> uh, it doesn't have to be quite as robust. Yeah, quite as, well, no, ro robust, definitely. Not quite just as, as complex. It's not juggling as many balls. And that just alone allows you to, to keep it a lot simpler. Yeah. yeah, it's sort of, so back in the day, I, I, I've not done the same sort of deep dive with React, but I, back in the day, I got really involved with the jQuery project. And I did a lot of similar type experiments where the jQuery source code can be incredibly intimidating, but you also have to realize that they're handling all sorts of edge cases for you that you probably don't need in your code, right? It's like some, some edge case that some, like, you know, they have to handle crazy, like different iframe usage, different, like all sorts of different browsers, lots of which you probably don't care especially about. And by taking like the naive dumbed down approach, it can not only be a good lear learning experience, but it can also make some of this framework stuff seem less magical, I guess is one <laughs> yeah. way of phrasing it too. Because it's, it's not like it's insanely complicated into the hoods. There's just people maintaining all of this stuff. Yeah, 
exactly. And, and so, I mean, a good example of that is what, what happens when you don't have class components, when you only mm-hmm. have functions and hooks. That's a whole chunk of complexity yeah, that just goes away. It's goodbye. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Uh, the React team can't do that. I can do that. So the, the, it's it's more these kinds of trade offs that I've been making. There is, you know, there's an interesting conversation to be had, for example, about React 18 and where they're going, where mm-hmm. they they do seem to be becoming a bit more opinionated in terms of how they want it to work. Whereas I think before, until React 17, they were a little bit more just like, well, we we, we don't want to steer you too much. We're going to let you do whatever whatever you want, whatever you're comfortable with. I don't know if that's a good evolution. So from that point of view, it's also nice if you know people are exploring alternatives to copy a lot of the same benefits without necessarily uh, having to adopt the whole stack wholesale. Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate the fact that the React core team has tried to make React as backwards compatible as they can as they've moved forward. But, you know, you can if you keep up with what's going on in the world, you can see that there is definitely a trend toward hooks and a and I think that you have to assume as a developer that at some point they are going to stop supporting class based stuff and you really need to move everything over or or just say this is the cutoff point. React 17 is where we're staying. You know, we're going to eventually hit that breaking point where we can't use classes. So, you know, I appreciate that. And I appreciate that they didn't do what Angular 2 did, which made it just completely incompatible with Angular 1 or Angular JS in any way, shape, or form. But I also understand that to keep the code base not so bloated and not so complex, eventually you just, like you said, you have to start going in a certain direction and cut out some cruft and just say, this is the direction we're taking. If you want it, go for it. If you are happy with what you've got, then just stop letting the versions increase. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting, too, that the React team has uh, spent the last, I think, two major releases kind of working on uh, exactly that, on on potentially having different versions of React running side by side. So Mm -hmm. that this may be exactly what you're thinking, that they're just going to, you know, they're going to drop the class-based components, but still allow you to run old React in its in the the way that it was back then. Mm-hmm. And then they can you know layer on newer concepts without having to carry it back. I'm presuming too, as you were sort of building this up, that I'm guessing you were just building features of React as you needed it, right? Because you you have no desire to be like API compatible, right? So if you didn't need a certain like some of the more fringe hooks or like some of the the features that people rarely use of react i'm guessing you didn't go back through and feel the need to implement those more or less just the stuff you need to get what you need done done yes although i would say you know that there's sort of the, the core set of hooks that are kind of essential which is you know the state the memos and the context yeah Th- those those you can't get away from uh but it's true it's definitely not a full you know 100 implementation uh there, there's a couple of the more esoteric hooks missing then again i think a lot of those if you if you look at them in react uh, a lot of them are also just sort of convenience wrappers that they don't they don't necessarily depend on any special internal magic to do what they do so that's that's definitely something nice that you realize once you start sort of tinkering with this at their lower level is just how little you need to get something like react going like the, the concept of, you know, a functional component that could access hooks that access, you know, a piece of state that is somewhere, but you don't really know where, you don't really care where. It's really not that complex once you build a little proof of concept from it. And then the rest is just, you know, how do I want to evolve it? Do I want to follow the same sort of design guidelines, the same principles? Uh, do I want to break some of the rules? Um, that in particular was was the fun part, I think, that 
a lot of what, what are rules in React just don't apply anymore. <laughs> so, it, for, for example, uh, like the a, a big frustration I'm sure many people will have found is uh, that you can't call hooks conditionally in React. We all know why you're not supposed to do it. It's mm-hmm. very nicely documented, but still, sometimes you just want to do it. Mm-hmm. And you can't because that would, you know, cause the, the hooks to shift around and change. But there's a workaround, which is this. Uh, imagine you have an if statement. And inside that if statement, you call a hook, whether it's, you know, use memo, use context, whatever it is. And mm-hmm. then in the else branch, you just call use no context, use no state, use no memo, so that you're explicitly telling your runtime, like, hey, I skipped a hook, and it was this one. And once you do that, you can you can call hooks conditionally as much as you like. And it, it turns out it's really useful for, for certain things. Like if you want to make a, a component that depends optionally on a context, like you, you want it to be able to be used either with a context or directly, depending mm-hmm. on how you want to use it. In traditional React, you would have to make two different versions of that component. With conditional hooks, you don't have to. And in, in terms of you know the code and, and the reasoning about it and what it's doing, it's, it's very simple. It's, it doesn't really add a lot of complexity. It doesn't fundamentally break the rules. It just says like, hey, if you want to do this, you can. So that's, that's one of the things that yeah, I was able to get, get out of the model, which is really, really nice. It's interesting stuff. And I, I get the sense too that this is the process that a lot of some of these, because there's like a new wave of frameworks that are trying to be the next React, mm-hmm. right? Like your your spelts, your solids. And re- yeah, and a lot of these are are clearly like thinking spelt in particular, like clearly React inspired, right? Like it's, you can tell it was a similar thought exercise was done as you just went through, right? Like, let me t- take the bits of React I like, but hey, some of this stuff I don't really like. So let's just <laughs> ditch this. Spelt has like an opinionated way of doing CSS, whereas React doesn't. Like you can tell that somebody's just like, I want to make, like recreate React in my own way. And that's how some of these came about. So I don't know where I'm going with this. I, I guess I'm curious, do you have any plans to try to like spread the word on live to popularize it? Or do you see this more as just your own internal just experiment, just well, oh, just de- a fun place to play with it. Yeah, de- definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm using it to develop a graphics framework. So for me, it's a means to an end. Okay. I just knew I just knew I wanted a copy of React without actual React. So that th- then that I needed up to do my graphics work. So that is open source. It's already online in an alpha version. So right now, it's mostly a demo app with some some cool little toys that you can play around with uh, in, in a web GPU enabled browser. But it is a, a proof of concept of something big, which I'm hoping to keep growing and turn into sort of a generic toolkit to, to do graphics well on the web, especially in terms of customization and extensibility. Because there's a lot of great 3D solutions out there, but they're all quite uh, black boxy. Like if mm-hmm. it does what you need it to do, then it's great. But if you need to step outside those bounds, you're kind of stuck or, or you have to fork it and so on. So that's what I'm trying to use it for. The nature of that work is it's it's also a little bit ambitious. It involves GPU programming, shaders, a lot of math. So that, that in turn also makes it a little bit more niche. But I am doing it all out in the open. You can go look at my code in the horrible state that it sometimes is in with <laughs> you know all the words in the master branch because that's how I roll when when I'm you know just coding for fun and nobody else needs to care but hopefully it will stabilize uh, I've I have already released parts of it as npm packages I just I don't mm-hmm. want to push stuff out that's 
unfinished or unreliable or, or quicksand that's just not going to help anybody. But stay tuned for sure. We will keep growing and keep getting pushed out there. To your point about the frameworks, by the way, I, I find it kind of interesting that React pushes in a certain direction, and a lot of what these other frameworks are doing is kind of pulling back a bit, back towards more traditional HTML, CSS. Whereas for me, the decision I made was was the complete opposite. It was React is great at HTML, so I don't need to care about it. I, I'm just using React for HTML, because why would I build a copy of something that already works perfectly and that mm-hmm. other people are maintaining? Uh, it's It's... Much better if I can, you know, use this model to do novel things in a space where it isn't used, and then just have really good React interoperability. And Bob's your uncle, so yeah, I find it so cool that you're taking React and just extending it into a space that really hasn't, I think, gotten a lot of. Well, I can't speak too deeply about it, but it seems like WebGL kind of got to a certain spot and then just kind of stopped. So as long as you're good with math and really deep, happy to deep dive into that kind of stuff, you can manage it. But if you want to have a nicer API or library or something on top of it to make it easier, it doesn't seem like there really has been that that option before. So maybe you could give our listeners and us more of a primer on why you would use WebGL and WebGPU and things like that. Yeah, for sure. So uh, WebGL and WebGPU is just using the the native hardware capabilities that your computer or your mobile phone these days uh, have to, to render 2D and 3D graphics. It seems super obvious. It seems like it should be super commonplace that we're all trying to do this because it's right there. You know, it's very capable hardware. And for some reason, we don't. Why, why is that? And and I personally, I kind of blame the video game industry, in the sense that computer graphics hardware has heavily been you know driven by that market. And if you look into you know the video game industry, it's not a great place to work. Working conditions are quite bad. They they have this problem that there's you know a, a sort of a, a line of interns by the door just waiting to be hired and just be you know crunched to the, to, to death 60, 80 hours a week. And once they're tired and once they wise up that you know maybe this isn't how you want to spend your twenties, uh, <laughs> there's there's just new interns that you can go hire. <laughs> there's you no know, there's a couple of industries that work like this, and the video gaming industry is it's kind of like this. And so as a result, there's not a lot of sort of efforts to really improve the base technology. It's very project driven. You know, just work to finish the game, do whatever you need to do to get it out the door, and mm-hmm. then we move on. There are, of course, things like Unreal Engine and Unity and so on, which which are great at what they do. But again, they tend to be sort of you know monolithic integrated packages that are mainly de- designed for a particular kind of graphics. I would say, mm-hmm. like you know, photorealistic or like photorealism, but very little that's like diagrammatic. Uh, that's really data viz oriented mapping. Uh, any any stuff like that, scientific visualization. It's just it's not great at it. It's, it, it was it wasn't the primary use case, so there's just this void of really good software to do this. And that's that's what I'm trying to focus on and trying to make better. So I don't know if that answers it's, the question. <laughs> it's really interesting because it's like one of my pet peeves too is that for whatever reason, native mobile developers tend to reach for these sort of things. Like I think if we put the games aside, because obviously games games have like high graphic needs, but I feel like there's a lot of apps, and you mentioned some, like just like dating, data, data visualization, mapping, those sorts of things mm-hmm. that could benefit from some really like slick animations and uh, visualizations and graphics and such. And I find that native apps tend to reach 
into the native hardware far more often than just your average web app. Like it, it seems like there's a lot less polish for some of these like higher ends, like, you know, even companies that have huge development teams and budgets, they tend not to push the boundaries on the web when it comes to graphics very often. And it's kind of disappointing because a lot of the tech, at least as best I understand, a lot of the, the, the tech and the browser is actually there now. It's just severely under leveraged, it feels like. It's a little bit of column A and column B. The, the web has the problem that it has to run everywhere. So when it comes to 3D graphics, it's kind of the cheapest, crappiest phone that determines what we're allowed to play with. <laughs> uh, com- compared to you know a, a desktop computer with a thousand dollar Nvidia GPU, there's toys in there we can't use on the web. That's just how it is. But you're right that, that there's there's a, a ton of power there, and I think that the answer there is we we spend a lot of our energy just getting it to work, mm-hmm. wrangling the DOM, dealing with CSS yeah. and transforms and so on. So that, that's also an area where I'm just trying to see like how how much can I get away with just skipping that if i'm if i'm just rendering to a canvas uh how much can i can i do can i get a basic box model going can i can i render decent text and yeah you can do a lot and it's of course it's a lot of work if everyone would have to do this stuff from scratch but at the same time if we had more components for this i think people would be experimenting a lot more with it it's sort of you know the the browser chrome is set in stone we can't do anything outside that boundary but if you had components for that outside part two, uh, it would be a lot simpler. So yeah, no, it's true. I, I mean, I've been a web developer for a very long time. I've known about WebGL for a very long time. But if you ask me today, like, oh, you need to implement this on your website, I wouldn't know where in the heck to start, <laughs> right? Like, I don't know what I like, you know, I could look things up, I'm sure and try to piece some things together. But I think the fact that there is no very well known, like, here's what you do to solve this problem, or here's what you go to use this is kind of telling because it's, it's not new tech on the web. This has been stuff that's been available, at least in some capacity for quite a while. Yeah, it's it's just because everyone builds a solution for rendering particular things. That's kind of how it's been done in the fields. And so you, you have all these silos that do certain things well, but if you want to, yeah, do anything else, you're kind of on your own. And it's like, well, let's let's build a team of graphics developers for our little <laughs> web app. Like, yeah, no, that's not going to fly. <laughs> so you mentioned as you were building your own version of React that there were some some rules that you rewrote. What, what else besides conditional hooks did you decide to go in a different direction than the original team? Oh, well, uh, one thing that I think is really interesting is the, the notion of morphing. And the best way to introduce this, I would say, is is ask the question, why, why does React Router keep changing its API? <laughs> no, it's a good question. They're, they're at version 6 already. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like routing is, you know, so <laughs> mysteriously complicated <laughs> that well, yeah. why did it take them 6 tries? I think that's a good question. And I'm not I'm not trying to throw shade on them. I think there's a real problem there, uh, which is when you're routing you kind of want to make, you know, different pages, different page components, right? To, yeah. to organize your app. But one of the rules of React is if you replace a component of type A with a component of type B, you have to get rid of it. It has to be remounted. You cannot preserve any state from A to B. And of course, when you're actually, you know, making a web app or, or website, most of your pages are going to have lots of parts in common. Right, and so React basically just throws those away and then mounts them again. It mm-hmm. might keep some of the HTML, 
but it won't keep the states associated with it, right? Right. And so my idea was, well, do we have to? What if I could specifically say, you know, for this kind of scenario where I know I have these, you know, components that are all shaped very similarly, they're really just, you know, interchangeable. I kind of want to treat them as if they were one family of components. This I I added to the runtime. It's called morph. So you kind of just wrap a thing in, in, in a morph tag and that signals saying, hey, if you encounter, if, if there's already an existing morphable component here, just put this one in place and keep all the, the children. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what it does. It, it's still going to remount the component of the, the page in question, but it's going to keep all the children around and just say like, hey, can I not use any of these? Are, are, are any of them still good? That's that's basically all it does, and I think you, this is one of those those concepts that I think would totally work in React. I don't think there's anything special about it. You just kind of have to realize, like, no, this isn't you know a, a violation of, of data flow rules. It's not a violation of good taste. Uh, it's actually really useful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like it's kind of like the conditional hooks. It's one of those like uh, it, it's it's like a hazing ritual for new React people, right? When you figure out that this doesn't work because <laughs> you you kind of intuitively want that state to be preserved when something gets swapped out because it sure would make your life a whole lot easier if when the header gets re-rendered, if it still knows, uh, you know, what account is information to put up there or whatever the case may be, right? And then when it's not there, then you have to go like, oh, okay, well, I have to you know, figure out how to architect this to support this. It's always a bit of a wake up call that that's right. That's this is how React works. Let me go back and figure out how I need to do this. Yeah. Yeah. And and so to that, (laughs) my point about, sorry, my my point about React Router is um, I think the reason they keep redesigning is because they keep coming up with ways to circumvent this problem, but they can't fix the problem. Mm -hmm. So in, in the latest API, they have something called outlets as, as a, a, a way to do this, and outlets is really just a child, a children prop in disguise. You know, it's 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 literally the same thing. It's a slot where all the the stuff gets put into. It's just a different way of doing the same thing, so that you don't have to make a new component out of it. So I think that's why, and I I, I think morphing would be a lot better. But it definitely has to be opt in. Uh, you don't just want to change all the rules of React and say, you know, we're going to keep all the state. We're going to you know state for everyone just like oprah because <laughs> that's also going to change too much it's 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 going to lose some of those separation guarantees that you actually do also want and so figuring mm-hmm. out when you want behavior a and when you want behavior b is is part of the fun so i'm here with jd from raygun jd when i talk to you i mean i really feel the developer vibe and i know that's your background but is, mm-hmm. is all of Raygun that way? I mean you know it just kind of feels like when i talk to other companies they're a little more corporate a little more you know, focused on maybe, you know, raising money or doing other things, you know. But it seems like when I talk to you, you're just, you know, down-to-earth developer dude. I like to think of myself as a down-to-earth developer dude. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, Ray, Raygun is a little bit different. Um, so, you know, we're not heavily VC-backed. Um, you know, my business partner and I, when we started, we were both nerds, you know. Um, I, I might be the CEO today and I don't write code on the product. Um, but, you know, the joke internally is, you know, what's the definition of technical debt, Chuck? It's CEO code. <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> Stuff to go fix. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, we, we, you know, we, we're... Uh, stories. We're, 
<laughs> we're a cash flow positive business. You know, we're not heavily VC funded. Um, you know, but we 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 are at a size now where we're we are expanding, and more and more folks are are discovering what we're about. But yeah, we often look through things through that lens of a developer. You know, I wanted a thirty thousand foot view, but I also want to go right down to an individual um, data point. Um, similarly, you know, I don't believe in averages. I want medians. I want P ninety nines. I I make better decisions that way. And so we try and drive that sort of thinking into our products and try and be as developer-minded uh, as we possibly can be. Yeah, I love that because, you know, it, for me, it's it's run by people who get me. Um, and you're not under pressure from like a VC to raise your prices or, you know, go hyper-grow and then, oh, crap, now we're behind the eight ball with our money and now we've got to figure it out. You know, you're just going to keep growing, steadily moving. And, and I just love that. Yeah, I mean, the term these days is often referred to as product-led growth, right? Like, get people use the product mm-hmm. and say, hey, that's great. I want to give you money. Um, I don't think it's that complicated. Sounds good. Well, folks, if you want to go check it out, you can go find them at raygun.com. Uh, you can actually sign up for a free trial right there on the website. I have to imagine memory could also get out of control, too, if you never, like, if you were tracking all the things in a really complex app, or am I thinking about that wrong? No, it's not going to track anymore. It's literally just saying, you know, like, because React already keeps the whole tree of your components in memory. That's, that's mm-hmm. why you can inspect it in the dev tools. And so the only thing that's changing is just saying, like, hey, even though this component changed type, just don't throw away the children just yet. Just wait okay. and see, see if any of them are still good. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yep. Have you thought about either suggesting these or like opening some pull requests on the React core team for some of these things that you're doing? Because like you said, a lot of them are still in the spirit of React. And especially if they put it behind an opt-in flag, maybe other people would find it just as useful as you are. Oh, quite possibly. The thing is, I I only have so many hours in a day. So that's my (laughs) excuse for for not opening a React pull request. Uh, I would also say, you know, Facebook certainly has the means to copy what I did. So if they want to, they are more than welcome to. I, I, you know, I'm not going to say no. But that's that's unfortunately where I have to leave it today. Like I, I I don't have a lot of time to to become a core React contributor for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the benefits of having your own fork, right? You also don't have the like a the the not that your code wouldn't be polished, but like the the getting stuff like that across the finish line for a project that operates at the scale of React is, mm-hmm. I have to imagine, is an absolutely enormous investment yeah. in terms of time, resources, et cetera. Yeah. For, for like, I mean, some some notoriety, I guess, if that's what you're going for, but it's it's just like, <laughs> I mean, no one's going to pay you to do that, right? So it's 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 a whole lot of time to, to sink in. Yeah. I, I, I would also say, you know, just the fact that it's patterned after React is, I think, a decision that I'm really happy with. Because I could have just, yeah. didn't, I, I could have said in certain places, well, I'm making my own version of React. So why, why didn't I go crazy? Why didn't I do <laughs> what Svelte and Next and all the other guys do? I just say, like, let's, let's change as much as we can. And I explicitly didn't do that just so that I could say, like, hey, do you know React? Then take a look at this. Yeah. Like, then you'll you, automatically. You, you know exactly what's going on. It yeah. has exactly, you know, it reads exactly the same, has the same JSX. There's a couple of additions that change the rules a little bit, but it's not, you know, world changing. It feels like it could just be, you know, React 20 that's just here early <laughs> in that regard. Yeah. So what were some of the the WebGL and WebGPU things that you wanted to, that you want this version of React to be able to do? Because that that's very interesting to me is like, what, 
what could you potentially do with this new version? It's really just making it simpler. No, but it, it's difficult to explain this. This is what, because I've been trying to explain a lot of people how, what this project is about, what live is, what, what mm-hmm. the, the graphics framework, which is called use GPU. And it's called use GPU because it's all hooks. So the, the word use is just <laughs> nice. everywhere. I'm trying to explain this because it, it's not that there's anything particularly novel that you cannot do today. It's just, it's making it dramatically simpler. Exactly the same way that, you know, React didn't necessarily allow you to build things that you could not build before. It was perfectly possible in theory to build UIs of exactly the same complexity. You just didn't. And why didn't you? Well, because it was a it was spaghetti. It was a nightmare. You, you took ages just to get it working, and then you didn't want to mess with it because it's right. like, yeah. But now with React, when it's declarative, you, you kind of do want to tinker with it. it. It invites playing around with it. And so that's really what I'm trying to bring to it. It's, it's kind of hard to explain because it's like, you know, people who are in the graphics scene say, well, I, I can already do all this. What, what, what's the <laughs> right. what's the added value? Yeah. And right. it's like, well, yes, because you spent years building up all your expertise and all your libraries yeah. and all your things. So now you're comfy. But somebody from the outside, they're going to like, well, I don't know anything about graphics. Why should I prefer your thing? And yeah. it's like, it's just simpler. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you're, you're talking to your target audience here because like Paige and I both have, you know, JavaScript React background, but virtually zero WebGL stuff. And it yeah. it is super intimidating. So Anything that makes it easier. And by the way, use GPU is a fantastic name. You should, you should totally keep that. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, what it I, does. It lets you use the GPU. <laughs> so you vision is just to go like a little one step further into your your like let, let's just paint a picture of the future where all your work is done. It's worked amazingly. Is use GPU are you passing that things like components, like like building blocks? Like I'm gonna have I want to render a box here, right? Like, is it going to seem more like canvas or are you building up like a tree of components that get gets rendered to WebGL instead of HTML through canvas? Yes. I'm just sort of curious what you see the like the rendering sort of pipeline looking like in a WebGL world. Yeah, this 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 is the magic trick. That's again, it's it's one of those things that's hard to explain. What, what you do in React is you use your component tree to produce an HTML tree, right? Yep. And then that HTML tree is your description of, of what needs to go onto the screen. What I find myself often doing is realizing I don't need a second tree of objects. What I really need is a tree of code. And it's sort of like I'm, I'm assembling a program at runtime, just a bunch of little snippets of code, one associated with each component, basically. right? Like Instead of rendering a div, I just render a little function and say, Hey, go call this when it's time to, to do this. And so your, your component tree kind of just turns into a program that gets just run top to bottom. And that's, that's what ends up happening. So even though it feels exactly like, kind of like you described, you, you've got components to represent various sorts of things that you plug together into a tree, it, it doesn't really get turned into another representation. It kind of just sort of dissolves into code that runs and does the right thing. And that's, I think, the what's really neat about this approach is, you know, React was created in order to tame the DOM, but it's even better when there's no DOM in the way, when you can just yeah. go all the way to the end. That's that's basically the the magic here. And and I think that's that's still easy to explain to web developers because I think web developers are just gonna be automatically enthused about anything that makes the DOM even more irrelevant. <laughs> it's just nice. <laughs> but for graphics developers, this is all just like 
I, I'm talking moon language, but what are you, what are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, it's just so far out of how they tend to approach it. Mm-hmm. I, I think, I think they would look at my code and just be horrified at how inefficient it is. And it's just <laughs> like, well, I'm, I'm not rendering, I'm not rendering doom. I'm rendering right. diagrams. Like you don't need 60 FPS. <laughs> oh no, I need 60 FPS. It's just, it's not hard to get 60 FPS because it's, I'm I'm not rendering Doom. Like, yeah, I get. I bet you get a lot of comments like, "Why do you need to do this?" And to which the answer is, you need like a lot of time to explain. Just yeah, <laughs> browsers work differently. Yeah. So, do you have some examples of of seeing this? You said at, at the beginning that there were some live examples of this engine. What kind of demos do you have for people who want to kind of their toes into it and play around with it a little bit? Uh, the demo is, it's it's a React app that launches live. And I'm, I'm just using, like I said, React for HTML because it's good at it. But it builds a, a canvas and then there's, there's various little demos, just some 3D geometry, a basic sort of math plot of a, of a 3D diagram. I've got some, some, some box model stuff so, you know, a page with some boxes with some text in it that you can scroll and some Flexbox-like things going on. Basic, you know, that's the thing. None of it is particularly impressive. All of it you can do with other tools. It's just like, hey, look at how simple this is now. Yeah. Um, that's that's really it. So it's it's both, if you understand what it's doing, it can be impressive, but otherwise I think it might be underwhelming once until I can actually, you know, put some time into making some really neat showcases. Are you For using now, it on your own website right now? Well, no. So a web GPU, to be fair, I should, I should probably clarify this. It's not really uh, available yet for everyone. So you can turn it on in a dev version of Chrome, but you can't really use it in public. So this is another reason why publicizing this is so hard, because I, mm-hmm. I have to record everything on video just to show it. Because otherwise, you know, people just get a box that doesn't do anything. And they're like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to download your thing just to, to look at it. Like yeah. that's not how things work anymore. So <laughs> I, I have to make videos. I remember that being a common complaint of the Houdini API, which is finally starting to get to actual usability in Chrome and, and Firefox and things like that. It's like people would go to the example sites on MDN and things and it wouldn't work because they were on the wrong browser or the wrong version. It's just like, yeah, it's it's kind of not fun when you, it's like you've got to go to the latest nightly release to actually see this thing in action yeah the best thing is just record videos it's it saves you a lot of hassle <laughs> so one question that i i don't think i realized until you just mentioned this so web gpu versus WebGL, because i know web gpu the the extent that i understand it is web gpu is like the the newer version right like the more advanced version but is it like a completely new set of apis is can you like write web gpu GPU code that like also can run in a WebGL environment. Like how how exactly do those work together or not work together? Yes, they don't work together at all. Really. <laughs> okay, um, and the the reason the reason is uh, WebGL is basically ancient. What happened was uh, it's it's like I said before, it's mobile phones that are really driving what we're allowed to play with in a browser. So WebGL was modeled after the kinds of graphics you could get on like first, second gen iPhones, essentially. So two thousand seven, two thousand eight is kind wow. of wow. Yeah, it's computer years are, are worse than dog years. So that's ancient <laughs> history. And there's been, of course, some some updates, and there has been a WebGL two that was made, which definitely you know had a couple of improvements but was still fundamentally the same thing and it's still that same api from you know 
good 15 years ago. Uh, and OpenGL really is much older than that. So this is really 25 years or longer. So WebGPU is modeled after the more recent generation of graphics APIs, be it your Metal, uh, Vulkan. So Metal is Apple. Uh, Vulkan is kind of the, the replacement for OpenGL. So it's the open solution, kind of like OpenGL was before. And then Microsoft has their direct 3D. So there's there's a lot of fragmentation too, which isn't great, but that's, that's what we're forced to deal with. But that does mean that WebGPU is kind of positioned perfectly as, oh, and this is a horrible thing to say, the Java of, of GPU graphics. No. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> horrible analogy. Um, <laughs> The Unicode of no, that's even worse. Oh Jesus! <laughs> no, it's it's meant to be. You know, it it harmonizes a lot of differences between those different platforms and gives you a common baseline that is relatively sane and well supported. So what's what's really interesting is whereas WebGL was kind of just a desperate attempt to get GL to work on the web, uh, WebGPU is more just like no, actually a lot of people could agree and benefit from this standard even outside of a browser. Uh, so that there's, for example, a Rust implementation of it called WGPU, which allows you to use WebGPU natively without any browser. And it's, you know, it's the exact same API, so you can potentially write code that could run in both environments really easily as well. So is the browser then doing some of the heavy lifting of in terms of just, because presumably there's code somewhere that has to talk Vulkan language, talk Metal language, talk direct 3d and just make that work behind like one coherent api so i'm assuming like the chrome engineers firefox engineers etc are some of the ones doing the the lifting and the translation so that the browser gets like one semi-sane api to work with (laughs) yep exactly and and this is a very slow process to yeah i I was just thinking like (laughs) i was not (laughs) that just sounds not fun (laughs) (laughs) It takes a certain kind of person. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, I'm I'm much happier being on the consuming side of it. I did do some early work with WGPU to to contribute to some of you know very minor things. So <laughs> it's it's not totally foreign to me, but yeah, it's it's not super great. And in part, this is also you know there's the theory of what those APIs can do, and then there's the practice of okay, what's actually out there in the wild in terms of devices? How, how yeah. bad is it? Is it, you know, is it just as bad as we thought it was or is it worse? Um, spoiler, it's worse. But. I was just going to say, it's probably not better. <laughs> is is there some sort of future proofing built into like this time around? Like, because like I'm just picturing, you know, Apple decides I we've come up with an entirely new way of handling graphics and such. Presumably then it would be on the browser vendors to like talk to these new APIs to make sure that WebGPU, web, uh, too many, too many nouns, WebGPU continues to operate as expected on like any sort of newer APIs or hardware that comes out. Yes, definitely. It kind of depends on where you know the market is going, where the devices go. Uh, there's definitely a an evolution towards more generic processors. So it used to be that a, a I, I, I don't know. Back in the day, back, back, way back, uh, with 3DFX and those really early vendors, what that hardware did 